0: This is Main Street on Prairie Public. I'm Ashley Thornburg. My guest today is Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein. He is a Chester Fritz Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the University of North Dakota and the host of Why? Philosophical Discussions About Everyday Life. He joins us periodically to get a philosophical take on a big news story. Jack, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thrilled to be here as always in this 17th month of winter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. And just today, announced uh, between Fox News and Tucker Carlson that they have agreed to no longer be together. We don't know where he's going. Uh, We don't know if this is uh, specific to uh, the recent settling of a $787 million lawsuit uh, between Fox and Dominion Voting Systems, but highest rated anchor at Fox News now parting ways with Fox that today. So, Jack, we wanted to have you in to talk about Media, because this is just one story of many that is really in the public consciousness. There's a lot of conversation going on about TikTok and banning TikTok, about Twitter labeling NPR uh, as state sponsored media and stations across the country pulling out of the platform. And that gives rise to this talk of populism and its impact on media and propaganda. So <laughs> that
1: is a lot, <laughs> It is a
0: lot to talk about in, in just a few minutes. But let let's kind of start with just the overarching idea of what is the function of a robust free press.
1: Well I want to back up for just a second because the Tucker Carlson thing is synecdochic it's a summary of everything that's going on because the last lawsuit that they faced, their argument was nobody would actually take Tucker Carlson seriously, that he was entertainment rather than news. Mm. And that line gets blurred in populist media. It gets blurred on Fox News and elsewhere. And what does it mean to be a news anchor who doesn't read the news? What does it mean to be a voice that is inherently unreliable? A free press is built on not just truth, but trying to access the truth, trying to access the truth from different perspectives, from different uh, subjective points of view. The news, it's not that it's different if you are, let's say, an African-American or if you are rich or if you are in a wheelchair. It's that the world gets interpreted differently. And part of what the news is supposed to do is engage in what fancy term is intersubjectivity and what that means is you take all of these different perspectives and you find the place where they overlap to try to get some kind of sense of what is true what's real what's accurate and even though you can never be certain if you triangulate all these different experiences you get close
0: When you talk about access to truth, access can get pretty uh, loaded and tied into the word power and our concepts of power. Why is it so important who has access to telling stories on mass media?
1: Because the more power you have, simultaneously the less vulnerable you are and the Mm. tighter you have to hold on to that power someone who is in their basement and is posting on a blog or having a discord channel or something like that they don't have a lot to lose so they can be really daring and they can say even outrageous things and if they get caught or if they get yelled at eh, it's no big deal On the flip side, they have a very small audience. Hmm. They're often labeled as crackpots, even if they're not. They're marginalized just by virtue of having a tiny listener base. But you have someone like Tucker Carlson who has tremendous amounts of power and a massive base, and he both has to be controversial in order to keep the base, but also he has a tremendous amount to lose if things go awry. I mean, Fox News lost almost $800 million, which was half of what they were being sued for. That's got to have some sort of impact. And so what you need to do with the free press is balance power the new york times is a very powerful newspaper the bismarck tribune is a less powerful newspaper but has a tremendous impact in its region prairie public goes to every single household in the state and a lot of areas surrounding the state that gives it power responsibility and without accountability things can go awry and then again there's that balance because the small voices aren't as accountable, but they also don't have the same amount of impact.
0: Right. So what would happen if Tucker Carlson was making some of the same claims uh, that he has made, many of which have been proven to be baseless, in sort of a small underground weekly newspaper that's you know, dropped off at college-adjacent
1: apartments? you know this is really important because there is a flip side to all this that we haven't talked about which is things that aren't necessarily widely experienced are often deeply experienced hmm. and what i mean by that is those people with the underground newspaper or those people with the the secret radio station their followers are committed those their followers are really into it and they can be moved to action whether minor or major by that one voice one of my favorite movies it's such a one of my favorite movies that i can't even see if it's a good movie or not i've seen it too many times (laughs) it's called pump up the volume and it's about this underground radio dj before the internet uh who motivates high school students to 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 rebel to get out of their shells and this is the central conflict which is how much responsibility do you have to move these radically committed people and the danger with tucker carlson was that he was both widely experienced and deeply experienced that there was a small portion of his followers who believed that he was the voice of the people and that his lies were not just truths but calls to action and that led to january sixth, and that led to all sorts of violence and we've seen carlson's hand in all of this even if it's not intentional i think it was but even if it wasn't intentional he still has that influence so we've got power we've got access. We've got the distinction between widely felt and deeply felt. And all of those things are in competition. Populism and traditional media are fighting though for those things, fighting for the power, the access, the commitment. And it's not clear who's going to win. In its purest form, Jack, what is
0: populism?
1: Populism is the belief that the masses can be moved by emotion and often false narratives. So a populist leader is a leader who portrays themselves as one of the masses, even though they're not, and portrays themselves as representing the struggles of the masses, representing the voice of the masses. This isn't just standard representative politics. This is something deeper. So you have, let's say, with Donald Trump man who was rich from birth, who has servants, who has had every opportunity in the world, who has gotten away, at least allegedly, with a zillion things. And yet there are people all over the country, in fact, all over the world, who identify with him from their trailer parks, who identify with him from their suburbs, who identify with him from their position of lack of education and lack of opportunity and lack of money. How is it that this person who is completely different, who is as elite coastal New Yorker as you can get, how is it that he became the voice of the disaffected working class? Although that's questionable, but I'll say it anyway, the disaffected working class of the United States. That's how populism works. You take someone who plays a role to tell people who should know better, that he is their voice
0: i feel like i want to ask you the question that you were asking how did that happen (laughs) let's take a look at the steps when it comes to electing um, or, or at least being um, very into a populist style leader, and like you said, even if in, on a factual level they are polar opposite of who they claim to be uh, most aligned with, what are some of the key steps that somebody should be taking a look at?
1: So one of the first things I'll say is that we have a whole Y Radio episode on propaganda and fascism, and people should listen to it, and I'll link to it on our Philosophical Currents webpage. So the first thing you do is you make people afraid. You tell them that things are going to fall apart. You tell them that their life as they know it is, is, is imminently over, and you get them in a state of agitation. Then you tell them who to blame and who to blame is always a scapegoat, someone who is not powerful. You tell them that it's the trans swimmer who wants to win the the, the state trophy. You tell them it's the drag queen who is secretly in the bathroom going to molest their children. You tell them it's the Jew who controls the world. You start making them afraid. You give them someone to blame. And then you tell the people that you are only, you are the only person to stop them, that you are the one who sees through them. You, you are the one who's passing the message. I told you that it was the Jewish person. I told you it was a trans person. I told you it was a drag person. It's not a drag queen's fault that we don't have comprehensive health care, <laughs> right? It's not the high school trans kid's fault that There's that we're all terrified of being shot if we go up the wrong driveway. This is these are huge systematic issues. But if the populist leader can get people to think that he is revealing the secret, revealing the truth, and he's the only one who knows it and who can fix it, then people take that fear and take that hatred and take that anxiety and they give it to loyalty through loyalty. To the leader, and that's what gives the leader the power.
0: Why is fear a stronger motivator than fact?
1: Because fear is an evolutionary uh, priority. Because the first thing we have to do is preserve ourselves, and because the future exists entirely in our imagination. This is something that I talk about my students to my students all the time which is that the only thing that actually exists is the exact moment we're in the beginning of this episode heck the beginning of this sentence only exists in your your imagination as does the future so when we have fear and we imagine a future it becomes distorted it becomes fearful it becomes terrifying and so our bodies react chemically, our neurology changes, we have that fight or flight instinct. And the human animal is like all animals, is built on preservation through fear first. Truth is a luxury for when you can sit down and reflect. Truth is a luxury for when you are trying to build something permanent or negotiate things between people. Because if you think there's a lion in the bushes and you run Mm -hmm. and you're wrong, nothing happens. right? Mm -hmm. But if you aren't afraid and there is a lion in the bushes, you might die. Fear has kept us alive, essentially. Absolutely. Well, that's a different <laughs> topic. I,
0: I don't necessarily think we want to go down to evolutionary advantages of fear. But, but I do want to tie this back to populism and, and the mass spreading of, of certain types of messages. Because like you said, if there's a lion in the bush and you were afraid of it, now you have survived. So what are the redeeming qualities of
1: populism? So populism promotes change and if it's good change, (laughs) that's good. The other redeeming quality of populism is that it does get people involved. It makes people Hmm. feel part of a community. It makes people feel uh, connected to their neighbor in a certain way, assuming their neighbor shares their views. But frankly, populism is not it's not something that's great now we can't confuse populism with uh, i don't know how to what to call it egalitarian access right or i'll change this and this is going to sound like a philosopher but we don't want to confuse populism with popular and what i mean by that is the fact that there are all of these news outlets the fact that there's twitter the fact that there's tiktok the fact that there's underground newspapers the fact that there's blogs these aren't populist necessarily but they are popular meaning that people have a democratic egalitarian access to them and for the most part everyone on TikTok starts with a blank slate and is competing equally with everyone else it helps if you're an attractive 19 year old as 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 uh, tick has shown but that's no different than anywhere else the fact of the matter is is that What makes these media important and what makes these media exciting is that they give access to the population. Now, that's not populism, because Hmm. populism is this whole system uh, that we just talked about. That is free speech and free press. And freedom of expression in a democratic society. And what you want is as much equal access as possible, at least so in theory, we can weed it out. Through merit, We can weed it out through who's reliable. We can re- weed it out through who's a nutcase and who isn't. The problem is we're not very good at that. And the problem is that if you become isolated or you only talk to people with similar views, it becomes much harder to engage in that process because it gets much harder to see other perspectives.
0: Right. We are in social media bubbles. There are a lot of people who said that they were surprised by the 2016 election. And much of that, the people who have studied this have come down to say it was who you were talking to.
1: That's absolutely right. The last guest on Why, Andrew Solomon, we did an episode on the philosophy of depression. Hmm. And he talked about the fact that while the internet has been very good for people who struggle with depression because it provides community, it's also been very dangerous. Because if someone posts that they're considering dying by suicide, then all of a sudden, everywhere they they look, the word suicide is there. Hmm. And they're surrounded by people who make it seem like a real option. And it escalates and it snowballs. And so every good thing has a bad element. Every bad element has potential good things. And so the internet, while liberating in many ways, is also tremendously impressive, uh, oppressive in other ways.
0: Right. Technology itself is never good or bad. It's always in the application. And I know, uh, Jack, that we usually have these conversations on philosophical currents as just you know, long form question answer. Um, but this time, I'm going to try to have you help us give actual action steps. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in talking about how to be consuming this media as a savvy person, you, you talked about this a little bit, but go into more detail on what you mean by triangulating information and how that impacts, okay, depression, a person's mental health to democracy how people are voting. We had a whole big trial about this between Fox and Dominion.
1: So some of the tricks of the trade are shockingly superficial. For hmm. example, never trust anything that doesn't have a visible date on it. If there's a news story that doesn't have a, a, a byline, a name, or a date, it can't be trusted. Now, it doesn't mean it's not true, but it means it can't be trusted on its face. Why? Because that locates it in time, and that gives it an anchor to consider. Second, look at what kind of ads are 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 mm. connected to it. Uh, are they ads that you know suggest easy answers? Are they ads that that have a thousand bits of clickbait? That is also a hint at what's going on. You have to look at the quality of the language. Now, this isn't to say that that. Uh, English language learners aren't wonderful reporters. And you know that if someone on Twitter is reporting from uh, a bunker in um, the sedan and their English isn't, isn't great, well, you know why. But if it's a full article and it's full of questionable grammar, hmm. that is just another red flag. So there's superficial things, but there's also other things, for example, you want to look and see where the links go because sometimes you get what's what's basically a, a circular link an article will link to another article as evidence and that other article will link to a third article which will then link to the first article and so what you get is a fake sense of citation and a fake sense of evidence when you're really in that bubble again so off the t- you know just from the beginning it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of effort now then this is where it gets more complicated politically because you wanna ask what kind of people and how many different kind of people are cited depending on the story. If it's a political story, are there people from both sides of the aisle? Are there independent people? Is it just the same voice over and over again? Is it just the superstar or is something else going on? If the, the person is speaking, what's their background? How much expertise do they have? expertise is really really important so if if you want to ask a scientific question like let's say uh the new bacon diet does it work or does it not you know you don't want to look at the articles that are just about bacon diets you want to try to find studies about diets in general and look for the original source now this takes time and this is why we have professional politicians because you and i We're busy and people have jobs and people have kids and people have to exercise and people want to watch TV and people want to do all these sorts of things. And they don't have time to read every single study and they can't become experts on nuclear proliferation treaties. So we hire people whose job it is, who hires aides to to give them summaries and things like that. So basically you do the best you can. You start with the superficial that isn't that time consuming, and then you find other ways to go in because almost everyone has the experience of reading all sorts of things and thinking, oh, this is interesting. Oh, I didn't know this. Oh, this is true. And then you click to something that you know about and you're like, "Ah, this doesn't make any sense. This person has no idea what they're talking about because everything sounds good when we don't know what we're talking about. Everything (laughs) sounds easy when we don't have that background knowledge. You know, I know I'm going to sound like a college professor here. And again, I apologize for that. But the best thing you can get is an education, a lifelong education. You don't have to go to college to do it, but you should listen to NPR. You should read articles. You should be a well-rounded person uh, to steal a line from the West Wing. Education is the magic bullet. The more we know, the more access we have to a critical mindset that allows us to get closer to the truth. And that's ultimately the main thing that we have to do. You seek to understand before you, you, you agree or disagree. You look at something critically, not to disagree, but to analyze, to investigate so that you can then say, I understand this. And now that I understand it, I can evaluate it, understand first, develop a position on it second. In America, we've been conditioned to do it the other way around, to have an opinion and then seek to find more detail. That is a recipe for disaster. Understand first, have a critical evaluation, and then adopt an opinion. But that takes time and populism allows us to act quickly when we don't have the time to investigate. And that's what makes it so dangerous.
0: We check in with philosopher Dr. Jack Russell Weinstein once a month for a philosophical take on a big news story. Jack is a Chester Fritz Distinguished Professor of Philosophy at the University of North Dakota. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: My pleasure. Exciting news day. I was glad to be here as it broke.